If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pope and Young Podcast. This is Jason Roundsville. I'm joined today by my co-host, Dylan Ray, and we have special guest, the bone collector himself, Michael Waddell. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. What's happening, Jason? Dylan, y'all doing all right? Doing great. So we're just, we're in full prep mode. We have a convention coming up here in, well, less time than, than I think we'd, we'd like it to be, but definitely longer than we want it to be, so... We're excited about that. Well, I know I'm excited about coming out this year. And uh, and actually, um, it was pretty cool because just the other day, I got a call from, actually, I, I consider it my hero, Chuck Adams. And he's like, man, I heard you're coming to the Pope and Young Club banquet. And I'm like, dude, I I, I am. And, and so it was really excited to have a hero call me and just excited that, that you know, I was going to be there. And obviously – look to meet up and see him and so uh and not only just chuck there's so many people i'm looking forward to seeing and and so many iconic bow hunters to to hang out with and campfire stories so i'm really excited well i know we're sure excited to have you it's been uh ever since the announcement we've been getting a ton of good feedback they're like oh i know him you know and a lot of people remember you from the rochester convention which was our 50th anniversary so we we just we figured we'll just do this every ten years. We'll have you come back. I know it. I'm on a ten year cycle. That's no that's no problem, man. I, I'm excited about coming out, and it's always a lot of fun, man. Because obviously, you know, if, if you're a bow hunter, which um, obviously I love the bow hunt. My dad got me into it when I was really young, and and so all of my heroes 
seem to be either turkey callers or bow hunters, literally. And so, um, nice. so when I come, so when I come there, it's like, I always, I get to germ up on a lot of these people that I looked up to that I read, you know, articles about to seen on those early VHS tapes and, uh, and obviously kind of paved the way for, you know, super slams and different, different animals that they hunted. So it, it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm like a kid in a candy store walking around there shaking hands. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned Chuck Adams and I don't get, you know, that celebrity fever very often, but you know, he, he called me on the phone and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Holy smokes, Chuck Adams just called me on the telephone. I mean, it was pretty exciting. So I, I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. Like he called me the other day and, and I literally was going down the road with our producer, our TV show producer, um, we're turkey hunting and the phone rings and it comes across, you know, everything's hand free in your truck now. And so across my Chevrolet, literally the phone's ringing and on the caller ID, it says Chuck Adams. And I'm like making sure everybody sees it. Like you see who's calling, you, <laughs> oh, see, yeah. you see who's calling me. He's calling oh, yeah. me just, you know, he just wanted to see what's up, you know, and, and it was this Chuck Adams. And I'm like, what's up Chuck. And it was almost like, like I'm feeling like a fanboy just oh, picking yeah. up the phone on this guy, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Who's like of, of the people that you're around, um, like who has been the most that you're just like, you know, you fall into a fan mode instead of a, you know, almost co-worker type mode. I would say that the two people that probably hit me the most, I mean, Chuck's one of them. I've kind of gotten a little bit past it now because it, even when I was young and just visiting like these big buckaramas and different hunting shows, Back in the early 90s, late 80s, when my dad would take me to uh, to these shows, you know, the big consumer shows, I remember meeting Chuck Adams. I, remember, I met Ted Nugent, and I met people um, just in the hunting industry, people like Bill Jordan even I met at those shows, and um, and it was really cool. And Chuck was probably the first guy in the hunting industry that probably had, had some fanfare that made me kind of a little giddy and nervous to meet him. And I think the reason I was so nervous to meet him is because anytime you meet somebody you respect and look up to, you just hope that the guy is nice and not a jerk, you know? And so when I met Chuck, he immediately was super cool and super nice. You know, he, he Chuck wasn't one of these crazy, outgoing, crazy personalities, but he was so respectful, you know, and I told him I was a fan yes. and, and he was so nice and so laid back and, and he, uh, which I'm, definitely an extrovert and i would consider chuck more a little little more introverted where i'm just kind of full of crap and having fun and high-fiving i actually found myself the first time i met chuck pretty pretty uh introverted myself i didn't i didn't really know what to say and i was just like you know kind of like the chris farley skit hey man you remember that time you shot the polar bear you know <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and so um so chuck was that way and it's funny because and only other people that really ever hit me that kind of freaked me out a little bit was first time I had a chance to hunt and hang out with Dale Earnhardt that that definitely it was hard not to be a fanboy and probably like Hank Williams Jr. had a chance to meet him a few times and um and people like that and then I met the Leonard Skinner band so you can obviously tell that I'm redneck through and through when when it's Chuck Adams and and you know and people like Dick Kirby turkey callers and Harold and David you know from from Nightingale Game Calls when it's people like that Leonard Skinner you know <laughs> Hank Williams Jr. Dale Earnhardt. You can tell. You can tell that uh, that obviously NASCAR hunting and country music has always been my heroes. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I, I've, you know, 
it doesn't hit me often, but some of the names that you mentioned are are on my list. It's kind of like, you know, where you you get off the phone and you just want to call your call your dad and say, "Oh yeah, you know what? Yes, oh Ted Nugent just called me. Yeah, he's doing good." Um, no I doubt. I, I know I told you this, Jason, but my dad doesn't get excited about anything. And uh, the first time Chuck called me, I immediately called my dad and said, "Hey, dude, Chuck Adams just called me." My dad freaked out. Like, I oh mean, yeah. I mean, freaked out, dude. He's like, dude, I've shot the same Hoyt game getter since 87 just because of Chuck Adams. <laughs> That's so, so awesome. cool. Yeah. That is cool. And it's uh, it's it's neat because there's, you know, some places you go and it's a big, you know, it's a big circus and, and you just don't get an opportunity to just visit with people. And then, you know, one of the nice things that I really enjoyed about the Omaha convention is – you know, you can be sitting there next to a Chuck Adams or, you know, Jack Frost or, or whoever it is. And even, you know, even Don Trump Jr. And we're just sitting there and, and we're just talking about hunting and fishing. And that's why we're all there is, is to talk about, you know, the next trip we've got coming up and the one we just finished and, and uh, how accessible everybody is, is just, it, it's, it's a pretty unique experience. Even for the outdoor industry, it's kind of a unique thing. Well, Jason, you hit it on the head. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it's funny over the years um, and, and being blessed to kind of work in the outdoor industry, I have certainly come to realize I don't know that there's anything that brings people together. You know, if you want to call it an equalizer or if you want to call it this common ground, grassroots, you know, whatever it might be that you want to describe it. Hunting in the outdoors brings people together of all walks of life better than anything. And even those celebrity status people that you look up to, whether it is a Dale Earnhardt, whether it is a, say, a Jeff Foxworthy that hunts, or you're talking about Donald Trump Jr., or you're talking about Ted Nugent, on and on to our hunting heroes like Chuck, Jack Frost. I mean, I always look forward to seeing Tom Hoffman at, at this event. He's usually always you know, at the Pope Young Convention. And so those type guys, to me, I have so much respect for. But when you get a chance to hang out, literally, it seems within 20, 30 minutes, not only you're talking about hunts, but you're talking about family, you're talking about other friends, you're talking about things that, that that's happened throughout the year. And it takes on this super personal uh, relationship. And, and I don't think nothing else does that. I don't think baseball does that, football, sports. But you can take those people who play sports that do country music and all that stuff. And when you have that, you know, common ground of hunting and the outdoors, it just all of a sudden you just become brothers and sisters. And um, I've talked about that a lot um, this past year, actually, you know, having a chance to spend a lot of time in camp with a lot of different people. And uh, Blake Shelton was one of those guys. Jimmy John, who's a big hunter and bow hunter. Um you know, from uh, Ronnie Dunn or Brooks and Dunn. And we all were talking about how hunting is what brings people together that just brings this neutrality that just is it's amazing that you honestly, it's like you're a long lost kin, kin or relative to these people. It is. And it crosses every social and economic boundary that's, that's out there. I mean, you can be talking to somebody about hunting and then you go jump into your 1973 GMC pickup and they hop on a private jet and the conversation that you have, you wouldn't know from the conversation, which one is which. 
hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it really is amazing. And, um, and I've had that experience throughout my career, you know, and, and it's kind of cool because the, the same thing goes. I remember when I started working in the hunting industry and having a chance to run a camera, do a lot of guiding. I used to work in archery pro shop in Manchester, Georgia, and I set up bows and actually, you know, started helping setting up Bill Jordan's bow, David Blanton, and people like that. A good friend of mine um, named Shane Collier who owned this archery shop. And, um, and, and you know, it was obviously, and I remember meeting some of these celebrities in and meeting different people, some that was rich, literally like rich people, to, to just people that literally had a card in the pro shop that you would write, you know, $20 a week down on a brand new, you know, Martin Pro Eliminator that they were buying, you know, and a, and a you know, dozen double X78 arrows that they were buying. And so um, I, I remember now to having a chance to do some of the TV shows and then some of these, you know, young, young kids or young men and, and women. And I get a chance to hang out with people and they're shaking my hand, wanting to meet me. And quickly from then into now, nothing has changed that when you got that kind of, common ground of, of hunting you quickly become the same kind of flesh and it, and it meshes any of those other cultural possible differences it, it 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 goes over race it goes over financial situations it goes over you know a status if one might think somebody's a celebrity versus just a common you know man or woman and it really makes everybody kind of this common awesome you know, vibe. And, and so I, I really, and I can't say it enough. I don't know anything that does that. I don't know any other, you know, pastime or hobby or lifestyle that does it at that level as the outdoors does. I, you know, I haven't seen anything like it either. It's just, it really, like, like you say, it crosses every line. They're just, I, I think it's, it's not like it even crosses lines. It's like, Oh, we're, you know, you'll be in a room. We're just all hunters. doesn't matter where you're from. You're from Georgia, you're from Oregon, you're from Nebraska. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, what you do, how you grew up or, or, or any of that. You just want to talk about hunting. And, uh, it's, it's definitely a unique, unique situation. And I'm really appreciative, appreciative to, to be part of that. I'm the same way. And, and, and I think that's what makes the uh, Pope Young convention even more special. It gives us all an excuse and, and a good getaway vacation to bring the family, you know, bring the wife, bring the kids if you want to, or, or just individually just, just take off and you get a chance to, to shake hands with some of these people you look up to that you admire, respect. And obviously, you know, for those that have been going to the convention every year, it's literally, it is like a family reunion, it, you know, <laughs> called the Pope and Young Convention. But in reality, it really is a family reunion. You know, one thing about the Pope and Young Convention is, People are still using photo books. Yes, that's what I love about that is people are still literally <laughs> busting out the photo books, like literally. Yeah. And every once in a while, you'll see when the old school guys bring out the old Polaroid, like, and they're like, "Man, <laughs> did you just did you just take it and shake it?" You know. <laughs> oh yeah, I love I'm yeah. I've got one of my really good friends. His his dad, I think he's still got a flip phone, and and he literally. In his chest pocket, he's probably got at any one time he's got six or eight pictures of of bucks and bulls and and fish and everything else, and and he carries them around. He's not afraid to to drop them on the table. I love that. Well, that's one thing the Pope and Young Club has. You know, the convention it's got all these old school personalities, and and like I you know I mentioned a few names. You know, people like you mentioned Jack Frost, 
such a cool guy, man. Hell of accomplishments he's made in bow hunting. Oh, wow. and, yeah. But just a cool guy. But the, but the, the, these guys and even like the the Tom Hoffmans and you know you meet the you know people like Tom Nelson who's been around forever, uh, M R James and all these guys that we've read articles that we read about their bow hunting adventures and they all got this really cool old school swagger. Uh, some of them are going to be wanting to whoop me by saying that because I'm definitely not wanting to date them and call them old. But they got this kind of Roosevelt slash I can't explain it. Just just this certain old school swagger that just, I, I don't know, you feel like you need to just bust out some, you know, some scotch or some, you know, fine whiskey and have a cigar and sit down and start, you know, chewing the fat on, on bow hunting and kinetic energy and, and what, you know, broadheads penetrate the best and, you know, what animals and how far was the shot and how was the arc rangefinder working today versus back in the old days when Chuck used to literally have those angle finders that he would have in the deer stand uh -huh. on the mountainside. So it, it, it just brings on a whole different um, perspective. And so for those who have never come to the Pope and Young Convention, definitely come because it's got all the new wave kind of vibe and all the technology, but you get these old school, bigger than life personalities that have hunted around the world with stick and string, some with, you know, more modern equipment, but a lot with just literally, uh, you know, recurve or traditional um, hunting equipment and the stories and they're eager to tell those stories and they're eager to share their knowledge. And so it's a, I don't know, it's, it's a really one of a kind type of convention. So no doubt, I mean, it's, it's something that people, want something unique and a unique experience, definitely come out to Reno this year in July for the uh, Pope and Young Convention. You know, and, and you mentioned some of those names. You, you mentioned MR and Tom Nelson. And the thing about it is here's guys who have been there and done that. Yeah. And they're still, they're genuinely interested in your last hunt. Yes, That's the they thing are. That blows my mind is they're, they're, you know, here's guys that have been all over the world and, and, and they've shot animals. Some of us haven't even seen in books and they're, they still are genuinely interested when you talk about your last turkey hunt. And that's the part that just blows my mind is that these guys who have just, you know, icons and they're just wonderful, amazing people. And yes. that, that, that's probably I don't know how you can how you can tell people about that or, or you know it's easy to say oh I've killed fifty two species on you know six continents you know that kind of the stats book but I don't know how you would do stats on how nice and genuine someone is. Yes, I hundred percent agree, Jason. They it's it's a it's like you said it's kind of this old school respect. Um, and even though they could teach and they are instructors and they write articles, they're still students, meaning they still want to learn. They still want to understand what your hunt's like and what are you experiencing and what are you experiencing with some of the new equipment and how do you feel about certain things. They not only want to share what their adventure has had the past year and the last several years through their articles and if you meet them in person, but they want to hear about yours. And that is so important. And and for me, I can speak firsthand to that because being a young kid, you know, growing up in Booger Bottom, Georgia, man, we didn't have a lot of hunting TV. It wasn't around in the 80s. I mean, you had some old Fred Bear tapes. Um, I remember Noel Feather had some VHS tapes, uh, you know, hunting whitetails. Of course, of course, he ended up getting in a lot of trouble, but he, but I still remember watching all those old Noel Feather videos, the, the um, 
Oh, heck, you know, you had Roger Raglan, you had, dang, uh, I could name a bunch of names, the Wenzel brothers. Anyway, and I remember watching all those videos. However, the biggest stars to me were those M.R. James, the, the Chuck Adams, those people who wrote articles. And then they would write articles and different people about the Jack Frost, about the Tom Hoffmans. You'd still get some unbelievable articles about Fred Bear and how it tied back into Pope and Young and Ishii. And, and so, I, you know, I just become a student of all of that. And so I didn't know that as a young kid, when I'm, you know, 11 and 12, 13 years of age, literally sitting here reading all these these articles that I was going to get a chance to meet these authors and meet these writers and meet these seminar givers and these world-renowned hunters and bow hunters. And man, when I met them, they treated me literally like a, a nephew, like a like a kid. They treated me like I was kin to them. And I don't even know if they'll realize what that meant to me as a young kid. They could have easily been a jerk. And you right. know, sometimes when you meet people – you get really nervous because you don't know how they're going to be. In my mind, they're celebrities. I, I figure they were all rich outdoor writers, you know, writing these articles and going on these crazy adventures and had endorsements with Easton and Hoyt, who, you know, you name it. And man, when I met them, they were like meeting a, a relative and they were wanting to hear about my stories, which I didn't have hardly any, literally shooting a doe in a food plot in Georgia with a freaking Walsh broadhead. Like I said, my first, you know, Martin pro eliminator bow and, I had more stories of me missing six pointers under persimmon trees and I had success stories that they wanted to hear. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> and so and, and to now to have a chance to go and to be in that crowd and have a chance to speak at a convention that means so much to them that these guys helped found, you know, helped founded, you know, you know, through the, you know, legacy of, of Pope and young. And, and like I mentioned, issue and you, you talk about the greats like Fred bear, it's the creme de la creme. It's it's the creme de la creme for me. It's it's the it's the the highest value for me to have that opportunity to be there. And I get nervous already just thinking about having a chance to speak at the convention. Uh, so yeah, if you do come and you see me speak, no, I'll be nervous because I'm not just speaking to to in my opinion, average people. I'm speaking to people that I was a student of a long time, but yet treated me a lot of respect and. You know, and I and I want to make them proud. So it's 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 kind of a full circle type of garment for me. And uh, and I don't think there's many industries that offer that type of participation that you can walk right in. Whoever you are can walk right in there, and you got access to all these personalities. Yeah. You know, Jason, yeah. I I believe it's that attitude right there that that Michael has about speaking for us that makes him the perfect fit to speak at the Pope Young Convention. That's ex yes, that's exactly why that. We wanted him because it's it's not you know there there's a lot of people out there and and you almost see it some with some of the newer folks where there's a little I don't know pretentious or a little bit and and I think once once you've been around long enough then you you appreciate what you have and that definitely comes across with Michael for sure. Well, thank you, Dylan and Jason, and and I do because. It's crazy. Um, it's funny. If anybody who knows me, it, it, I'm such a fan of this industry, but I'm also a pretty tough critic of this industry, meaning because I felt like the the road that had been, you know, first swathed out and maybe that was dirt at the beginning, you know, um, that people like, you know, Pope and Young had, had you know, got, got some dirt roads rolling. And then sooner or later, here comes the Fred Bear and he starts putting some gravel down. And then the Chuck Adams, you know, maybe puts a little – 
top coat of asphalt on it and and then so on and so forth and we all have this piece of the puzzle that we're responsible for but the 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 thing that really impresses me about these founding fathers of of the modern day bow hunter is they never did it in a way that they didn't represent it to make you want to do it or to feel like that you could do everything they did do and that in its simple statement that sounds simple to me doesn't happen all the time in the modern day personality on tv the difference is there's a different unselfish approach that i felt like they took because they were learning they were trying to figure out what you could accomplish with a stick and string they were trying to accomplish what you could what would happen on a cut impact broadhead or a you know, or maybe a broadhead that you could replace the blades all the way to the modern mechanical that we know it today. So you're always learning, you're always adapting, but whatever they did and whatever adventures, if they failed, they wrote about it and they told you about these failures. If they succeeded, well, you saw it. And it was a picture of Chuck with that, you know, that green toque on and smiling from ear to ear. He didn't try to show a grimace. He was smiling like a little kid that got his first jawbreaker and, and and so when you talk to him, he would tell you what you could do to have the same success through his bow setup, through the arrow setup, through the broadhead. And I think sometimes, as you're talking about pretentious, I think what happens a lot of times is some of the personalities, they want to beat their chest so bad and they want to be so elevated above the average person that a lot of times they do this for their own ego. And I just didn't see that in the early stages of my heroes doing that. And and um, it was us that put them on a pedestal, not them put themselves on a pedestal. And there's a big right. difference. And I don't think that happens. I think that can happen the opposite today's. I, I do think we got a lot of great personalities on TV, the people that still write print at print print articles and stuff. But but overall, for me, I was a student of these type characters that's going to be at the Pope and Young Convention. They they taught me through their articles, but when I met them, they made me even feel more like I could accomplish some of the things they did. And guess yes. what? If you look at my career, they were right. And now I'm telling you, man, Dylan, Jason, when I meet these guys, they hug my neck like, like a father figure to me and, and, and like some of them almost get me emotional and they tell me how proud they are. So with that, you dang right. I mean, I, 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 I owe a lot to those guys. And, and, and so bow hunting and hunting is way bigger than just trying to figure out if you can sign an autograph and that if somebody thinks you're a great hunter, it's so much more to share. And so I, I, there's no way to just bottle it up and let it out of what I, I want to say and what I want to share with the public about what hunting is. And it is all that. It is all these personalities and names that we've mentioned before. And there's hundreds of more that'll be there that have, that have accomplished great things, but their biggest accomplishment is really not what's in their trophy room. It's in the manner they live their life as men and women and the way they have shared their success and the way they've made other people want to have the same similar success, whether it's bow hunting and business or the way you treat somebody. For sure. Yeah, I, I know if my signature ever gets out there, I got a couple of hunting buddies that uh, I've been signing hats for them for years. So Rocky and, and TJ, they'll be set up with my signatures worth a buck. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I, we've had a lot of fun with that. It's um, it, it's so interesting just just the way it all comes together and and 
the opportunity to to meet folks like that, to meet your your heroes, to meet the legends, and uh, and to just sit down and visit with them. It's uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. No, it really is. It really is, and I and I'm excited. Like I said, it's a it's kind of a cool deal. It's 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 a rich history. Um, I mean, when you think about the the art of bow hunting and where it has started and, and the history of it, I mean, which goes back literally to, I mean, you're talking before Jesus. I mean, but uh, there's been bow hunters around forever and it keeps, it keeps evolving. Uh, but as, as, as much as it evolves, the, the basis of what we love about it and those campfires and those hunts it has always stayed pretty primitive. And so, uh, so with that, it's just a very nostalgic, very exciting type of opportunity to be there. And, and like I said, to, to meet these people and, and to go back and look at some of what these gentlemen have did. Um, and like I said, I mean, right now we're, we're in one of the most unbelievable um, places when it comes to bow hunting. The technology and some of the equipment that's out there, it definitely can make it a lot easier than the technology that these guys had. I mean, look at Chuck, he shot fingers and literally like an old pin sight and round wheels on a, you know, an old compound bow. And man, he shot everything under the sun. You look at, you know, buddies oh. like Fred, Fred Eichler, who will be there, who Fred and I are about the same age, but Fred's done it all with just a stick and string, literally like a recurve. And so, yeah. I don't know, it's just, it, there's so much to learn and there's so much that you can challenge yourself and what I like about it, being a little bit more modern in my adventure myself, I get a chance to go talk to some of these guys, and I can tell them about some of the things that I found and maybe this newer wave technology and, and help convince them to try some of this stuff. So it, it becomes this full circle of just talking shop, talking life, talking about your families, talking about some of the better places that might be good to hunt across North America or the world and you literally could spend five days and you never run out of things to talk about. And it's just a constant adventure. <laughs> That's all it is. It is. You talked about, you know, the people in the, in the TV and making hunting, hunting videos and hunting shows and hunting movies. You know who made the very first hunting video ever? Well, it wasn't even a video then. It was a film. I don't even know. It's this year, I think 2021 is the 100 year anniversary of Art Young's Alaskan hunt. Holy cow. Where he went I, up to Alaska, took a moose, took a bear, everything with his, with his bow, a homemade bow or a bow he made himself. And uh, I mean, the, the whole video about him making a raft out of this moose skin that he just shot and then rafting out 200 miles in Alaska. It's that that was before sat phones. You had to do it all yourself back then. That's crazy. I've never seen that video. I'd love to trace that down and check it out. I've I've read just a plethora of books that uh, Pope and Young and you know there that they had wrote about. And, and dude, the honesty, the, the honesty. You know, most of the people listening to the podcast, I'm sure, have read a lot of the stories of Pope and Young. But um, and, and even how it tied back into Ishi, uh, you know, in California and and how they got into bow hunting. But holy cow, the honesty in which they took their approach. They didn't even know if some of this stuff was going to work. I mean, you know, exactly. they didn't they didn't even have a clue and um and they just got after it. And and, and it was so cool. I mean, I was reading one article 
or, or one uh, book or, or in the chapter when it was talking, it was talking about hunting in Africa and they didn't know, and you know, how far you could shoot these things to be effective. And, and it was like, you know, an Impala with a bow at 104 yards, it's probably too far. Penetration was inadequate, but I do think the next day we might have a chance at finding this game. It, I mean, you know, if you think about it, if you put that in the modern day, TV show or an article, you'll get crucified. But oh, they were crucified. just sharing the, they were sharing this adventure of of what works and what don't work. There's a uh, there's actually a it, it's encased in I don't know what the plastic stuff is. Um, anyway, there is a uh, a leg bone from an African lion that has a broadhead stuck in the leg bone from their trip to Africa. And you look at it, and it's like, it, it, you know, in in, uh, the, it, t- in today's world, no one, no a, no one would admit to hitting something in the leg because you know it's not exactly, shot. and uh, <laughs> and they sure wouldn't, you know, encapsulate it in resin and save it and you know have it for the museum down the road. It's uh, like you say, you you have to celebrate your your failures to appreciate the accomplishments. Well, they they were the best at it, and 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 there is no doubt you can certainly tell that the first person, in my personal opinion, um, that mimicked those same type of personality traits in 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 invention and in adventure and learning what works and what don't work. It was certainly Fred Bear because I had um, Fred Bear's field notes and. Um, and it was almost like if if you would say, okay, Fred Bear authored this, but if you took the name and you said it was, you know, um, Arthur Young or you know, or Pope, you you would definitely think you you would definitely think it was the same author. The way they wrote, the way they hunted, the way they got after it, and Fred certainly seemed to take a lot more of the engineering sense to it, to where he was certainly want to engineer and and not only engineer to figure out a way to grow it, not just, it seemed that Fred Bear was wanting to grow these things that Arthur, I mean, that Pope and Young started. He seemed like he wanted to kind of take the same stance of sharing it to grow it and that the growth of the sport was more important than the financial part of what he built the Bear Empire on. And so, uh, I don't know, just really unique, very unselfish approach to the way those guys bow hunted. That's you know I've heard from people that that actually got to speak with Fred Barron who who had conversations with him that he was you know the ambassador for bow hunting and then along the way you know Fred Ar- or, or Bear Archery was just part of that but above Bear Archery was his ambassadorship that he wanted everybody to be out there enjoy it be successful. And then, oh, on the side, I've, I've just happened to have bear archery. And everyone I've talked to has said that. It's, it's almost like the business and the financial success certainly come off a, pers- per, a, a purpose-driven narrative that, that the money was something and the financial success came from, I wouldn't say complete by accident, but you could tell that wasn't in the forefront of his desire. And you know when you think when you think about that and you think about Pope and Young, you think about these these uh, personalities that helped pave all these roads. Um, Chuck Adams did say something to me um, at the ATA a couple of years ago, and we were talking about that. And and you know and certainly uh, uh, the Chuck Adams was certainly 
another personality that immediately, I'm talking about immediately, started filling in those shoes. And then, you know, we named a bunch of these other names, you know, the Tom Nelson through his articles, the Charlie Alzheimer's, the MR James. MR, I mean, we could go on forever. But, but even Chuck told me, he said, Michael, you know, people and these people that bow hunt sometimes might not realize who is it and who is going to be these personalities and next people that keep passing the torch, that keep making things iconic, that makes things larger than life. Pope and Young certainly did it. That's what we're celebrating in July. But along with that, we're not only celebrating just Pope and Young, we're celebrating all these other people, these Fred Bears, the Chuck Adams, the Jack Frost, the, the Hoffmans, the, the the modern people, you know, like uh, Fred Eichler and, and people like that and the different um, authors and writers. And so when you start looking at all of that, I would challenge anybody listening. It could be you. It could be you that becomes the next Fred Bear. It could be you, you that becomes the next Chuck Adams type of iconic figure. And and again, a lot of people think, well, no, it can't be me. I'll never be able to hunt those places and shoot those animals. It's not just about what you shoot. It's it's about the way you conduct yourself and and how you are trying to help promote and give back it could be things you're doing locally in the community you know teaching you know kids how to shoot bows or or just having a day out on the farm shooting 3d targets you know with a compound or a little genesis bow or a, or a little recurve or you know a longbow it's so many things we can do because if we stop it just looking at those guys i think we let them down i think they want us to continue on and do big and, and even better things yeah they would say you know, instead of being the guy, mentor the next person, guy or gal. Absolutely. Talk about being a good a good steward and good example. Um, Fred Eichler actually told me a story, and uh, he said, you know, Fred Bear smoked cigarettes, uh, but he would never, ever, ever be caught on camera, film more pictures smoking a cigarette because he didn't want to portray our sport in a bad way to children. And, uh, I mean, that just goes to show everything he thought about was how can I promote this in a better way? Yeah, he was already thinking down the road. And and a lot of people, too, don't realize, Dylan, um, and I've studied up on this, it was the Fred Bear who in modern times, you know, uh, when you look back at the Dukes of Hazard and, and uh, Bo and Luke, you know, they shoot those bows and had the dynamite. You look at Sylvester Stallone and Rambo, and, and you know, if you're, you, if you're, if you're old enough to remember how huge those movies hit, and then you have movies like Deliverance, which Burt Reynolds become this, you know, hero with with a compound bow. Well, it was Fred Bear that was on those movie sets, that was on those film shoots, that was teaching these actors and actresses how to shoot the bow and arrow. So he become the authority. So a lot of times people didn't even know that he was working so tirelessly behind the scenes, trying to do these things to make sure people understood that the bow and arrow was a heroic type of, of, of weapon or, or pastime. And then, you know, and those type things are just as important, probably more important than some of the outdoor hunting shows that we do. I mean, you look at Lord of the Rings, you look at the hunger games, those are huge spikes in archery sales. So, you know, it's definitely something Pope and Young we need to look further into to look at these movie shoots and find these scripts and get these, you know, the Fred Eichlers, get the, you know, the the Chuck Adams, whoever it might be, the Jack Frost, the Hoffmans, to teach these actors the right way to do it, to hold the bow. That way, when it does come time for the feature film, whatever it might be, 
people are looking looking the right part and it's not Mickey Mouse. And and Fred Bear was huge in that role. He was huge in that role. Can you imagine just sitting around the campfire telling Hunts, oh yeah, who taught you how to shoot a bow? Oh, Fred Bear. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's that there's your mic drop right there. You, who you taught know you how to shoot a bow? Fred Bear. I'm going to bed. Good night. And you know Sylvester Stallone has got to be saying that. You know that Burt Reynolds had a chance to say that. Oh and, yeah. And 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 I, uh, was it uh was it John Snyder? I think that was Bo Duke. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, if people listening might be able to fact check me. I think that um, Fred Bear was instrumental in Dukes of Hazzard showing uh, John Snyder how to shoot a bow. And um and I know I met John Snyder one time before, and I know he loves to hunt. So. Uh, you know, I don't know the whole history or, or his biography of, of if he still does or how he got started, but I do know that Fred Bear was was part of, of helping make sure in continuity on that set. I mean, looking back, I mean, my goodness, they were shooting a stick of dynamite and blowing up stuff. <laughs> but still, if you go back and look at his form, it was correct. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of guys trying to make their arrows heavier. That'd be one way to do it. That's, I think that's what I need. I don't know if Pope and Young would ever recognize that. I believe I could never miss if I could shoot a piece of dynamite. You, I mean, you might have to look into that. <laughs> or, or, the game of visuals might not apply. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Roy, Roy's going to hate me for even saying we'll have to look into that. But <laughs> that, that might be a little bit outside of the scope of, of fair chase. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Plus, plus, it wouldn't do too much for the backstrap. So. Exactly. I think it wouldn't be a good, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't save a lot of meat. It would definitely tenderize too much, I think. Yeah. Well, I know, hey, one thing, I know you've been doing some turkey hunting. I, I would love, you have a, a turkey story from this season that you'd like to share with us? Man, I, I do. I have several turkey stories. I, it's been a great spring, as, as I'm sure you guys have had happen last spring. Man, we did not travel at all. The coronavirus, the COVID stuff had everybody kind of somewhat shut down. This year, even though it slowed down things a little bit, um, slowed things down a little bit, uh, for the most part, we got back on schedule and traveled to quite a few states and hunted hunted hard. And um, we had a chance to go to North Carolina. I went to Tennessee. I went out to Oklahoma. We went to um, Kentucky. Uh, Missouri. And so, man, we, we racked up the turkeys pretty good. Obviously I spent a lot of time hunting here in Georgia and Alabama, which is right here, kind of Dixie land at my home, home turf. But, um, but man, we got on some good turkey hunting and had such a good time. I had a chance. I think I saw 30, 35 turkeys die this year. And I, I shot about six myself in different States and, I'm telling you, man, it, I, I can't tell you what, how therapeutic turkey hunting is, man. I don't know what it is. I love it. It's like a it's like a poor man's elk. I don't know, man. It's just chasing a 20-pound turkey that's gobbling that you can kind of take an offensive approach to it. It was it was really cool. And I, and not only did I get a chance to do a lot of turkey hunting, I get, had a chance to do a lot of turkey hunting with a lot of different personalities and celebrities we did a lot in philanthropy where we auctioned off a lot of hunt to give back to charities from literally um, from orphanages to to just cancer research. And so all of that was not only a lot of fun, but it was really cool to have those meaningful type of hunts to meet different people that had that had basically bought hunts to go on that, that I could take them hunting and we could you know raise money for charity while having a good time and, and becoming friends in camp. 
that's great. I'm thinking about 35 turkeys. I'm like, okay, what would I have to do to see 35 turkeys die? And I'm thinking <laughs> I'd have to just gnaw them down with my truck. I, but then 35 is a lot. And so, you know, I'd probably have to go to the butterball factory to see 35 turkeys. <laughs> it's it's crazy. You know, you, when you, when you talk to a lot of Southern guys, you know, like in Alabama, Georgia, even Florida, I mean, the diehard turkey hunters down here, man, we're so blessed that we get a chance to start so early and then, like, where, you know, I think I heard you mention, Jason, where you, you had just went to New York and hunted, where your season comes in in early May. Well, we're still in. A lot of the seasons won't come into May, and they're out before our season even ends in Georgia. So we'll start early March, and we'll go right into, shoot, um, you know, end of May a lot of times in certain states. And so uh, so with that, I mean, you know, if you, if you can get to different states and get gas in your truck and get some non-resident hunting license, you can chase turkeys a lot of different states. And so with that, and then I take a lot of people. I have I have a, uh, quite a few kids. My wife likes to hunt. And so between that and doing a lot of guiding, I get a chance to see a lot of turkeys die. And, man, it, it and, and that's that's the knowledge, man. That's the experience. I think, you know, you, you learn so much getting a chance to do that much hunting. And you still get tricked a lot, but you trick a lot of them too. You bet. What's your favorite state to hunt turkeys in? You know, I used to certainly would say Georgia. Um, we're kind of experiencing a little bit of decline, it feels like, in the turkey numbers, and, and our neighboring state, Alabama, is doing the same. But overall, I would definitely say the southern states because, I don't know, it, it, you know, when we talk about tradition, we've been talking about the tradition of bow hunting. Something about the south has a very nice mystique and a heritage and a tradition about it. So there's something kind of eerily cool about hunting turkeys in the in the swamps and these hardwood bottoms and ridges that become almost, uh, I don't know, just so traditional, so cool. And they're hard to hunt typically. And so there's something about tricking just an old southern eastern that that I find to be the, the funnest thing to do when it comes to hunting turkeys. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when you think of you know, turkey hunting, that's probably the, kind of the vision that a lot of people have is, you know, hardwood lots and and uh, and some of that stuff that you would see more more in that southern area versus, man, years ago when I started turkey hunting, it was, we were up in the, you know, Doug Fir Forest, you know, running over that, running over this ridge and through that bottom and up the next ridge, just trying to hear a gobble. That was the, yeah. the whole thing. And you covered miles and miles. And there's uh, no doubt. Most, yeah. Most of the stuff we covered there, it wasn't turkey country. It's just the closest you could get to turkey country where we were. So exactly. And you know, it's too, I don't know, you know, when you think about the Georgia, the Alabamas, and some of the most iconic turkey hunters come from the South, like the, the you know, as we're talking about the Jack Frost and the Chuck Adams of bow hunting, it seems a lot of those guys ventured out West and made their names out West hunting some of this, you know, elusive big game from bear to sheep to elk where Turkey, you always had the people like the Eddie Salters, Ben Rogers Lee, um, and even people like Dick Kirby of Quaker board game calls who was in New York, right out of Buffalo, right there in Niagara Falls. They still came South and they hunted those, southern easterns and so you almost had to come south to conquer the eastern 
turkeys that lived lived in the south that had judged the great american yup off every year redneck yup off every year yeah. and then you know people like paul butsky who was from new york and then obviously if you looked over into missouri there's a lot of big turkey hunt names out there from walter parrott to chris parrish and so uh once again when you talk about a student of the game those guys man i followed step by step and article to article to video to video of everything i could take on to to understand not only the way they hunted, but their personalities. You look at people like Ben Lee. He, he did a lot of bow hunting, but he was, man, he was a world champion turkey caller. His personality, dude, he was so funny. You go to his seminars, he was wild, he was crazy. And, and so if you look at that, they got their start by calling in turkey calling contests, and their personalities just pushed through and gravitated you to them. And so, uh, Again, there's just a lot of cool personalities that come from the South around that turkey hunting kind of world. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. You mentioned it like some of the some of the little niches, if you will, are more West Coast and some of them are, are more South. It's interesting how some of that goes. Some yeah, no doubt. And uh, it's just a little bit different. And there's there's so many unique areas all across the country and uh, it's like, like for me being from the West, you know, we get one deer tag a year and some of these guys go shoot a deer almost every day for, you know, a month or two months. And it's, uh, it's just so different and so unique and you need to find a way to appreciate both. I think. Well, and you're right. You bring up a good point, Jason. You know, obviously me being from Georgia, um, you being from out west, D- Dylan, where are you from? I'm from Kansas. So you're from Kansas. Same thing there. You know, you can get your one buck tag. Of course, you got a decently, you know, liberal doe limit. But one thing about growing up in the South is, man, we had very liberal seasons. Like since I was a kid, you you could almost kill ten deer just on a twenty dollar hunting license. You could kill ten deer with a bow or gun. So, so with that, if you're a young bow hunter in Georgia or Alabama and, and over in my neighboring state, you could kill, listen to this, a buck and doe a day for the Alabama wow. season. A buck and doe a day. So what happened was you might not have had the most knowledgeable hunters, they but but what you had in the South, you had some cold blooded killers because they grew up having a very liberal bag limit. Our turkey season, we didn't even have tags. You literally just you know, honor system, you could kill three turkeys or two turkeys, I think, back in the day. And it's three now. Now you have to check them in. But back in the day, it's like, okay, yeah, I got one. Or or maybe I did, maybe I didn't. And so what happened, a lot of the southern states had some really aggressive, good good hunters, both bow, uh, deer, turkey, whatever, where, where your western hunters was, was way more calculated because they could not screw up. You had one tag, one chance and you found a, a, a definitely a more calculated uh, uh, hunting type of approach. And so for me, that was one of the coolest, most unique things that I'd ever experienced when I look back of being this young, let's just face it, this redneck hunter that had liberal bag limits of learning what it was like to have one elk tag in my pocket and to learn from some of these Western iconic hunters and bow hunters how to truly scientifically – you know, dial in a, a, a shot, uh, how to now, set up a bow. My, uh, yeah. That is my, 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 uh, experience. I grew up in Arkansas and, yeah. uh, in Arkansas, you give a $25 bill, you've got two buck tags 
you know, whichever, depending on what zone you're in, six doe tags, two turkey tags for 25 bucks. Yeah. And, you know, then moving to Kansas after college, it was like, oh, I got to pay you 90 bucks and that's for my one buck tag. And uh, (laughs) it became a lot different on managing your properties. It became a lot different on on putting time and effort in uh, chasing after one buck rather than, you know, in Arkansas, the first year that comes out, shoot it because then you can trophy hunt. Um, and it just became a lot different. Like you said, uh, you know, you have to calculate your moves a lot more. There's no doubt, Dylan. That's a good point. I don't think it gets talked about a, a, a lot and it should get talked about more, but you'll see you're right. If you grew up Arkansas being a Southern state, in my opinion too, you're right. When you got those liberal bag limits, you can, you, you got more opportunity to find success and screw up and learn where, where, you know, I, I got friends out West they might not even draw a tag out in Arizona, out in different areas of Utah. And and they literally, it's a group hunt. They, they're all hunting a one tag. At, you know, they some one of the buddies will draw a tag and there'll be three or four people on the hunt trying to experience a hopeful, successful bow archery, you know, tag feel. And, um, you know, if you grew up in the South, we never experienced anything like that. You right. You could literally come off breast milk. And, and literally pick up a 30 out six or get you a bow and start shooting and, and go hunting. It was so easy. So there was no age limit and there's still no really age limit to bow hunting as long as you're with a supervised, you know, adult that has a license. And so, uh, th- there's definitely something to be said about these Southern hunters. They just had a lot of opportunity. I don't think that they're necessarily the Southern hunter is always the best hunter, but what I will say is, is they had a lot of experience. And if you are a Southern hunter and you can tie in with the better Western hunters, you become almost unstoppable. Uh, and you might, I don't know if you feel the same, Dylan, but when you get a chance to, to tie in with the knowledge of some of these, the best of the best Western hunters, holy cow, I can't tell you how much I learned. And I felt like a dead gum ninja freaking navy seal special forces guy dude when i started hanging and learning about bow hunting at the level of some of these heroes out west that i knew that had shot all these big animals to, to what i grew up as a kid getting to run around in the woods and, and shoot deer and turkey it, it was almost like i don't know man i it, 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 i still feel that way <laughs> I, I, i'm slowing down a lot but you know getting a little older but but it's amazing at the opportunity that, that you will have when you grow up in the South and then you have a chance to meet a lot of the Western hunters and you can learn and take it all in. You just become, you become pretty efficient. We're going to, I wonder if we could have our own fantasy league where everybody would be cool. You know, like one Southern hunter, one Eastern hunter, and one Western hunter. And then we just compare them at the end of the year. Although the, the, I, I'm, I'm not so sure I wouldn't need like someone with an advanced mathematic degree to uh to to calculate all the drawing odds for some of this west coast stuff yeah you know there's there's tags out here you have to have 20 28 points and you only get one point a year so tells you how often you can draw that tag it's sometimes kind of depressing and obviously as a non-resident i put in for a lot of those tags and you know some of my best hunts especially in elk has come from you know public ground but even though it's public ground, holy cow, I'm not so sure you get a chance to run into much of the public because it seems nobody ever draws those tags and you might get it once every 10 to 15, 20 years, you know? And so, uh, so if you're lucky, maybe one tag, one of those tags in those coveted areas, maybe two, if you're super lucky and that same 
application process a lot of times happens for the residents. So for me, the Western hunter, sometimes it seems it's, it's not as fair as what Dylan and I had a chance to experience. Like I said, you could literally take a $20, $25, $30 bill at max, and son, you had more meat in your freezer than Piggly Wiggly. I mean, you literally, <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, that that is outstanding. I, I, As somebody who didn't grow up with that, I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I did too, and it made me appreciate a lot of the Western buddies I had because they – they were almost, I mean, what I learned about the Western Hunter, I felt like they were certainly more patient. Well, they had to be. And and I felt like they were more calculated, meticulous. And and they would spend weeks upon weeks out in the mountains looking for a certain target animal. Where when I grew up, I was, when people asked me, did I deer hunt? You, you're right. I did. I deer hunted. I necessarily didn't find a particular buck that I wanted to hunt. I just wanted to shoot bucks. I wanted to shoot deer. And and so my Western hunters, they would spend so much time, you know, literally camped out on the mountain scouting and looking. They spent a lot more time scouting than as they did trying to take the art of the era and dull it on the side of a broadside animal they knew everything about the wilderness and everything about the whole herd and animals before they even literally went out and tried to feel the tag. And and I found that really cool. And I learned a lot about their perseverance and how they scouted and how they learned their, they they used glasses and binoculars and spot and scope and, and could pick stuff out of the, the, um, you know, the sage, just, they could see stuff miles away. They're looking for things miles and miles away, which growing up where I did, if you shot at an animal with a rifle at 200 yards, you was like quickly down under. And those guys, you know, I mean, literally you was the man, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I, I find all that intriguing for sure. From, from East coast to South to West. It's just really neat. Well, you know, Michael, one of the questions that we ask every guest on this podcast and, and you are very well equipped to handle this because you hunted all over the place. So what is one thing that you take with you on a hunt in your pack that might be a non-traditional item that other people might not necessarily think about? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to say. Cause I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I do take quite a bit of things. One thing that I've got to where I take, and it's funny, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, I'm not even proud of saying this, but I think we all do this now is definitely take a backup type of battery to charge my cell phone because it seems like everything lives on my cell phone. But I think that's pretty common now of an extra battery source just to charge your phone because especially out west, I mean, we use base maps. And so the whole hunting property that I'm hunting is on my phone, literally on an offline map. Literally 90% of the time, a backup hunting license is on my app from that state. Um, obviously, you know, from emergency contacts to, to different things to uh, wind direction that I'm looking at, it's amazing. So I, I never thought, and I sound, I feel a little bit sissy admitting this, but no doubt I always have an extra way to charge my phone because, uh, Lord, if it, I, I never thought I'd depend on it that much hunting. I literally do. I, I was turkey hunting this morning, a new piece of property, and I was constantly looking at the map trying to figure out where creeks were and fences and stuff, and it was so I definitely always take that. And, um, and so, uh, and, and that's definitely, and, and you know what I always take, man, my wife picks on me. 
Man, I'm gonna have me some candy. Oh, Waddy gonna have some candy in his pack. I, I got to have me something to snack on. I'm gonna have some bit of honey or something. I got, I got to have some candy. My wife picks on me, but by George, I'm gonna. Yeah, you knock me over the head and find my pack. You gonna about get a Jolly Rancher out of it or something? You know what? Uh, Nick Nick Munt told us he always carries the uncrustables, the un, the sandwiches with the crust cut off. You know? Did he really? That makes That's sense. That's what he said. I figured that'd be T-Bone, but T-Bone probably having Cheetos in his pack. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, see, there's a whole, we can do a whole show on the art of just canned for your pack. You know, you know something that you, you know something else. I, I know, I know you only asked for one thing, but you know something else I typically always take on all my Western hunts. And I, I've done this for years is I always take a nice cigar and, um, and I don't know what it is as I've gotten older there's something about if I do find success or I'm on the side of a mountain, especially if I got a good air in something, I love to sit on the side of a mountain and enjoy a nice cigar in celebration. Um, I don't know. Like I said, some people might think that's terrible, but I, I always keep at least one nice cigar in my pack. Typically two, because I usually got a camera guy or guide with me. And I don't know, I've had some pretty cool experiences of, of sitting around on the mountain just before tracking an animal or just after finding one of, of having that celebratory, you know, it's a boy cigar. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Well, well, you know what? We'll accept all those answers. Now, right I got on. a hard question for you. All right. You, and, and all I have to ask is you mentioned T-Bone. Who are you going to hunt with? Who, who's your favorite to hunt with, Nick or, or T-Bone? Man, that is hard. It, it's funny. Um, it, you know what? Dang, that's hard because both are a lot of fun because they have different attributes that they bring to the table. T-Bone by far is the best archery shot I've ever been around. You know, we pick on the guy. He's big. He's, he's obviously a chunky old rascal. But let me tell you, he if you, if you know T-Bone, he is a student of the game when it comes to archery. He can literally um, – you know, build a bow with a slim jim. He can just unbelievable bow wrench. But um, and T Bone is very anal. He is the guy that anything you need, T Bone has. He is very thoughtful. He he definitely is more detail oriented, more like a chick. And, and Nick is a lot more. And Nick is just a crazy, a lot of fun and and fun to be around. But T T Bone is too. So. So if you add all of us, I mean, usually we got everything covered from soup to nuts, I would say. Um, but T-Bone definitely is a lot more kind of mama bear. He has got everything. I mean, it, you know, from traveling in the cities to being out on the mountain, T-Bone is going to have it. Where, where me and Nick are a little bit more fly by our pants, um, seat of our pants, and, and um, probably a lot more aggressive when it comes to our hunting style where T-Bone is very meticulous and he has everything, you know, taken care of. And if you run into any technical problems, T-Bone's the guy you want to be around. Um, but then if you come into any physicalities of, of having a quarter up and get animals out of the woods and pack them out, Nick is like a Cameron Haynes, man. We, we can just about, you know, pull anything out of the woods, man. He's, he's, uh, he's quick on the knife, you know, helping people, you know, gut and skin and quarter and cape. So, uh, you know, overall, man, it's, it's it makes a pretty good trio when we all get together and, and do some hunting. But uh, we, we definitely have a good time and still having a good time. Hey, hey Dylan, you know, we haven't had T-Bone on yet, but you have not. we're going to have to do that. If for nothing else, just to uh, 
just to ask the question, you know, how many times in your life have you been referred to as the mama bear or more like a chick? Kind of like a chick. <laughs> now, yeah, like my, a chick. just said it. Yeah, two quotes right there. And, uh, man, we can make a whole show just out of those two quotes. So that'd be great. And what's sad is T-Bone will admit to that. He will not. He 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 won't even shy from it because he knows he is. He he uh, is he is no doubt the mama bear. T-Bone's he's older than me and Nick, and um and he does man. He's and two the big guy ain't gonna walk too far. So my, that's another thing. If you're at the Pope and Young Convention, you saw you see T-Bone and you want to see the shortest way to the banquet or to the seminar area, follow <laughs> T-Bone because he is gonna take the shortcut. He knows his way around. Hey, work, work smarter, not harder. That's too now, long for sure. Jason, I think, uh, and he said it best. He said they all three work good when they're together. I think we need to have them all three on. That'd just be a heyday. Oh, my gosh. That would be yeah. fun. We'll have to do oh, that. Then we'll, we'll ask for some dirt. They would love it. They would love to oh. be on. I would love it, too. Yeah. Well, how, would they, how would they describe you, Michael? I don't know. I think they would describe me for the most part is is pretty hard on them almost like the the coach I, I feel like uh i'm probably more the kenny powers of the relationship you know i'm i'm hard on them I, when i say hard on them i believe in those guys so so I, sometimes i do feel like this coach what i mean by coach i mean t-bone's older than me but a lot of times i'm always pumping them up to let them know how great they are to what they can do, whether it's in a speaking engagement, you know, whether it's in if we do an appearance together, um, I, I would say I'm, I'm definitely pushing those guys to do more, to shoot further, to, to be more aggressive, to, to, to get more game on the ground, and also to, to, uh, to even work harder when it comes to what we can accomplish in the industry. So I, I would think they would say that, that I'm kind of the, uh, the Nazi of the group in, in a good way to where I'm, I'm pushing our whole team to, to strive to, for, for more, but not for it to be about ourselves, but to be about, you know, the bigger stroke that, and, and what we can actually accomplish in this industry for the better good of, of hunting. So I'm always pushing them. We'll come back. Prime example is there'll be a whitetail out there, 67 yards, and we'll be bow hunting, and people are like, man, he was just out of range. And I'm like, why didn't you not shoot? You're the best archer out there. You had all the best Bushnell range finders, T-Bone. you got to make that shot. Well, I mean, why did he was too far? Like, he ain't too far. He's too far for your average man, but T-Bone, you ain't the average man. You know, so that's the kind of stuff I'm always putting on them and pushing them, you know, to, to help understand how much I believe in them so they even better believe in themselves. See, now, now you say push and prod and, you know, the the Nazi about it. And uh, when my team calls me stuff like that, I just say, you know, I'm just your motivator. Yeah, no so doubt. Going, the great motivator. I try my best to motivate. And sometimes sometimes it's it's uh, nice. And sometimes I'm sure I can come across as a jerk to him. But, uh, but I do it all in love. <laughs> yeah. Jason makes me call him boss man. Boss man. That's right. <laughs> Mr. Boss Man. That's who's your daddy? That's boss Man is better than who's your daddy. Mr. Boss Man. Yeah, I, I'm not sure where that came from, but it wasn't me. Well, Michael, sure appreciate you taking some time with us today. Cannot wait to see you here coming up in, in July in Reno. And uh, for anybody listening, if you need to have a great time, if you're ready to get back out, see some good vendors, 
some of the best outfitters in the business uh, July 14th through the 17th at the Nugget in Reno. We're all going to be there. We love to see you there too. You know, Jason, we're also going to have vendors that that either have a never been to our convention or b you know been many a year since they have been there. So uh, they're going to be some brand new vendors this year. I'm excited about that. We got the the uh, bow range, indoor bow range, where people can come and try your try your new bow out. Lots of good things. We're excited about it, and definitely excited to have you with us this year, Michael. Thank you so much. Well, Jason, thank you for having me on this, and 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 thank both you guys, Dylan and Jason, for uh, not only being on the podcast but just having a chance to be part of this convention. I'm looking forward to it, and. Just like you mentioned, Jason, I hope everybody, uh, if you get a chance in July, go to you know popeyoung.com and you can see um, or .org. What, is it, no, it's popeyoung.com, isn't it? It's or pope-young.org. Pope-young.org. .org, that's right. And, and um, I was just looking on it the other day, and it's, it's got all kind of what's happening and seminars and different things, but also booking information if you're interested in booking some lodging. And it's a fun place to go, and and uh, so definitely come out. I look forward to being there and, and hanging out and speaking. Um, so it, it's going to be fun. So thank you all for having me, and, and look forward to uh, seeing everybody. I'm going to try. I, I'll pour on J- Jack and Hoffman and Chuck. I'll try not to germ up on them and fanboy them, but I'm going to be. Sh- I'm gonna, it's going to be hard to meet me and shake my hand because I'm going to be walking around shaking hands myself and trying to get autographs. <laughs> that's excellent. You know, that's that's exactly what you want. You want everybody there excited to be there. And no doubt, you're excited to meet. And, and two, I was going to say, you know, one thing to keep in mind because I remember uh, the times that I have had a chance to go to the convention. Um, just a reminder for any of the ladies or the guys that, that are coming, it ain't just a dude fest, man. Bring your ladies. They're great vendors that uh, obviously we, you know, any of these clubs, like you go to a safari club and different things like that, the vendors, there's some really cool vendors. Of course, it's going to be in Reno, so it's going to be fun, good places to eat and good nightlife. So so definitely, if you get a chance, bring your girlfriend or bring your wife and, and um, or your family, and, and there's a lot to do. Make it a mini vacation because there's more to it than just for the dudes. And even though I know there's a lot of women who love to bow hunt, and hunt in general, it, it's still just a fun getaway vacation to uh, for for everybody. Yeah. Now we also have some women specific events, so it's it, yeah. it'll be good for all for all ages for all genders. It'll be a fun time. I yeah. think T Bone. I think T Bone will be there participating in that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, have, we'll have him do the mama bear talk at the exactly. Uh, at He'll the do the mama bear. He'll be giving organization seminars how to there organize your hunting pack. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you talk about the ladies and there's some, there's some women that will be at this convention that, you know, for, for all those guys out there that think you're quite the bow hunter, there's some gals I would put up against any bow hunter I know. And they just right. get it done. You dang right. I ain't so sure some of them couldn't whoop me. I mean, not, not in bow hunting. I'm talking about whoop me, just straight up whoop me. I mean, they, yeah. they some, <laughs> there's some real deal women who get it done. And, uh, and and a lot of them are, you know, very beautiful women too. They're not your stereotypical, uh, what you would think when you, you know. So don't, yeah, you, you're right. Don't don't necessarily, uh, what's that old saying? Don't judge a book by the cover. Some of these ladies are stone cold killers, man. They can they can use that stick and string. Oh yeah. Well, Michael, we will see you before too long in Reno. And thanks again. Have a great day. Go chase some turkeys. Thanks a lot, guys. Y'all take care. I'll see you guys soon enough.